Hi, everybody. This is Mike Siegel, host of the Travel Tales podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you can hear this right now, that means you've downloaded the show, and I appreciate it. So if you can tell about 8 million of your friends, that would be awesome. Um, actually, uh, we do want to uh, help build the audience, and you can play that part. If you go to iTunes, to our uh, iTunes link there, you can get there through the website. And if you go to iTunes and uh, just give us a good rating, cost you nothing, helps me out because the more good ratings we have, the easier it'll be for people to find us. We'll get ranked a little higher in iTunes and that will help a lot. So that's what you can do. As for me, um, I am going to push a little harder to build the audience. I'm going to try to go on some friends podcasts and uh, put the word out. And also, be prepared to be bothered if I have your email address with some emails, because I am going to do some email blasts, and there will be instructions if you want to get off that list. But uh, I'll send you a little notice uh, when a new episode drops, as the kids say today. Anyway, I'm having a ball doing the show. I hope you're enjoying it. And uh, if you can go to iTunes, give us a nice little rating, maybe a nice big thumbs up, four stars, five stars. Hey, I'm not telling you what to do, but either way... Uh, I'd appreciate it. And uh, if you want to shoot me a note through the website, mike at traveltalespodcast.com, let me know what you think. All right. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. I'm a traveling man, made a lot of stops all over the world. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. This is Mike Siegel. I am talking to Stevie Ray Fromstein. In the house. Still one of the greatest names in show business. It is, it is. <laughs> Most... Even after it's not that appropriate to use it, I <laughs> yeah. can't drop it. For people who don't know, uh, Stevie Ray Fromstein is a uh, former comedian, or now current comedian. You're back at it. I'm a former comedian, slash writer, slash unemployed, slash <laughs> a comedian again. Right. You quit for a while. Yes. And you were a uh, very successful TV writer. A TV writer, sitcom writer. And I think your biggest credit was probably Roseanne, right? Yes. That was the first one. Downhill okay. from there. That is probably a whole other show of Roseanne stories. Yes. That was, <laughs> that was traveling to a different <laughs> right. loke. How many uh, years did you work on the show? Two and a half years. I did a half season and doing punch-up, and then I was hired full-time. I did two seasons. And they were the seasons, I think it was six and seven. And then they did eight and nine, and that's where they uh, Roseanne won the lottery and all that stuff. It was after I left. Okay, not related to me leaving, but <laughs> but the the show did go downhill. Right, right. Well, I'll I'll give you credit for it. You uh, know, well, if they you know, kept some, you around. It would some have been people say that it might have been at least at the very least a coincidence. <laughs> right. So you did stand up for a long time. You were yes. on the road. You've been on The Tonight Show back in the day. Oh, that's where I first saw you. Oh, really? And then when I first met you, I remembered one joke from your act. The, uh, I was naked in my hotel room. Oh, yeah. That was my favorite opening. Right. I don't want to bastardize it here, but it's a very funny joke. Can I say it? You can say it. I can, I, I'll do it just because... Because uh, mm-hmm. it's yours. It was an opening yes, joke. It's I a just, great uh, joke. I was in my hotel room, middle of the afternoon. I was completely naked, and the maid walks in. Finally. (laughs) (laughs) Love that joke. Perfect, perfect, simple, yet it's one of those jokes where it's like, it's been sitting out there the whole time. Why didn't I think of it? So now you're you're back on the road opening for Norm McDonald. Norm McDonald, an old friend of mine. We started out around the same time in Canada. You're from Canada? Yes. Boy, between you, Billy Reback, 
I know. It's David Steinberg. Yes. Uh, William Shatner. It's a little Canadian Jew heavy, this, this, these last few shows. Yeah, there's and then a lot Avi of... blew it out of the water with the uh, Jew-Israel talk. So now this is, I'm going to have to get some, uh, some Goyim on here pretty soon. I'll, uh, you know what? I am practically Goyim. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you have a podcast of I, your own that uh, we'll talk about a little later. But sure. what's the name of that? The Holy Atheist. The Holy Atheist. Yeah, and I have oh. on Twitter podcasts. So okay. It's about religion. So you grew up in what part of Canada? Uh, Toronto. Toronto, the big city. Yeah, the big city. And you moved to New York or L.A.? Oh, you mean from Toronto? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I moved around quite a bit. I went to, uh, I lived in Montreal for a year. I lived in Vancouver for a year. I spent some years in India. India. This and is then, and then Los you Angeles. Okay. That's kind of a Actually, then Montreal, then route. Toronto, then Los Angeles. Well, how long were you in India? On and off for about six years. Wow. But I mean, I spent... Probably a total of three years there, spread out over six years, from the uh, from the time I was about 20, 25 to thirty, thirty one. So here you are. You're already established as a comedian. Obviously, twenty five to thirty would not be six years. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> so you're already working as a comic, right? And then you just uh, no, no, to no. Take off. I was uh, no. I became a comic after that. After India, I started doing it in university for for right. fun. But there was nowhere to make a living at it at that time in Canada. So I just did it when I could. But uh, probably my total amount of stage time for all those years before I became a comic was a couple of hours. You know, I mean, <laughs> 10 minutes here, five minutes there. Um, what was it that drew you to India? What was the attraction? Well, I had been interested in Eastern philosophy for a, a, couple, of year, uh, a couple of years. I started meditating with the... Transcendental Meditation, and I'd been, uh, it's actually connected in a way to my religion because, uh, meant because I, at that time, I did believe in God before that, and then I had a kind of a, uh, an event that kind of shook my faith and then removed it. But then I didn't really <laughs> completely go to atheism, I kind of went to spirituality and uh, but I still value very much. I still go to India. I was just there a few months ago. Is there a certain, always to the same place? Which part of India? It's in the Himalayas. Oh, uh, what way up there? Yeah. It's, okay. Uh, looks a bit like the Hollywood Hills, yeah. actually. I was in without uh, the sign. Yeah, I was only in India once, um, and I did kind of a very touristy kind of little tour for two weeks, and you know Delhi, Agra. And then down to Jaipur and Udaipur and all those kind of things. And then uh, Mumbai, and then I ended up in Goa. Oh, yeah. For a week. Goa was very Goa was great. fun. Yeah, yeah. How old were you when you first went to India? 25. 25. So 24, 25. Had you been out of the country before? Yeah, no, I, I did a lot of tra- I loved traveling. The first time I went anywhere was I was 17, and I went to Europe when I was... It's uh, pretty bold, 17. Well, in fact... I met this guy, I was, in a, I was a lifeguard at the Y, or at the high school, actually, as well. So I'm like, uh, like just almost 17. I started talking to this guy that he was about 20, 21. He started telling me about Europe, that it changed his life. You know, and it's, it's the kind of thing, you're, by a, you're, you're talking to some guy at a pool yeah. <laughs> and decide to go to Europe, you know, but it just, I'd never really thought about, I didn't know anything about Europe. Wasn't sure where it was, but... Uh, <laughs> He's just telling me it was incredible. And I remember him telling me also, he was like about 21. He says, 
He says, I feel so old. I said, you're so young. He says, you don't know. <laughs> I've seen things, man. Uh, yeah, but you can be old. You can feel old at any age. Right. It's harder to feel young at any age. <laughs> right. So but, you take off at 17. Well, then, so then I got a, a friend of mine, and I was a bit of a troublemaker back then. I wasn't doing well at school. All okay. my friends were also not doing well at school. Now, were drugs involved in this? No, was no. It? I just was in the dumb class. Okay, That's gotcha. another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they put me in the dumb class. Okay. I couldn't get out of it. <laughs> and I didn't know I... Uh, I felt like I belonged there, and I've certainly had a sure. lot of friends. You set the bar low. You had and a good they, time. They were compatriots. You could get in trouble with them. It was yeah. great. So I uh, got a friend of mine. He said, well, we, we thought we'd go to Europe that summer. And then a few months later, he chickens out. Uh, but I really wanted to go, and, uh, and my parents uh, amazingly still let me, even though I was going by myself. They let you go solo at 17. Yeah. So were you done with high school yet, or are you no, not no, even graduated? No, no, you know, it was Canada. Or were you kicked out by the... Canada, you go to high school until you're about 25. <laughs> it's There's grade 11, grade 12, grade... Grade 12, 13, <laughs> somewhere they dropped 14. No, now they've dropped 13, I understand, but like uh, okay. it was 13 years, 13 grades, and uh, plus, and this is going to make it look like maybe I deserve to be in the dumb class, but I... <laughs> Uh, I was held back a year in grade four. Oh, wow. But thank God, because if I hadn't mastered the, those topics, <laughs> I don't know where I would be today. Gluing macaroni to the plate, the whole thing. It was crucial stuff. You don't want <laughs> to miss some of that. But I, you know, I can't really totally blame them. I was a horrible, horrible student because I just didn't want to be there. Right. It just didn't interest me, so I didn't pay attention. But, uh, so where in Europe did you go and so for how then, long? So I got a knapsack and uh, and a Eurail pass. Sure. And uh, it was a student plane ticket, but it was first class Eurail pass, so I could oh. sleep on the train yes. and stuff. Right. You weren't in the uh, the cattle car. And it was only an extra hundred bucks or something. <laughs> that was a lot of money, though. If you it didn't was. Have any. There was a book. I had a book. Europe on five dollars a day. <laughs> I did it on three. <laughs> And but it became almost a challenge, you know. Yeah, but they, yeah, then yeah. youth hostels were fifty cents or something. And yeah. No, we're talking like I don't want to age you, but we're talking like talking seven, uh, late, late 70s? Ni- early nineties. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> when you're, when you're I, I don't want to age myself either, but it's probably inevitable. This was uh, in the early seventies. Okay. And it was before the dollar fell. There was a the dollar fell a couple of years later. So I mean, it was very cheap to go to Europe. Yeah, yeah. When I was the vibe, I mean, it was, those were kind of turbulent. Time. Yeah, then there was a, the, all the, the Vietnam stuff still going on, and mm-hmm. I wasn't that aware, and, uh, and it wasn't... A, a, really? You probably a, knew some Americans up in Toronto. Oh, right, right. <laughs> you <laughs> know, were avoiding the draft. Well, the ones that were avoiding the draft were older than... I mean, I was only 17. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but I was going there, and I met a lot of Americans, and, uh, and they, uh, you know, often at youth hostels, we'd sit around, and they'd start talking about... You know, how the fact that a lot of people hate Americans yeah. and uh, even these guys hated Americans because they, they were against the war. And uh, and there had just been some riots in Paris. So it was a an awakening uh, experience for me. Were you one of those Canadian backpackers who put the uh, I had a Canadian flag. flags all over? I'll your... tell you, I'll tell you, somebody said, get a Canadian flag. <laughs> and I put a Canadian flag on my knapsack and on my I had a jean jacket on right. the back of my jean jacket. And so often I'd go someplace, people say, uh 
oh, you're from Canada. You know, people love Canadians yes. because we don't really do anything. Right. We don't harm anybody. Oh, We're just nice people. Yes. Uh, nobody hates Canada. I We're like Eskimos. Say, nobody, yes. Whoever nobody. worries about Eskimos. It's like, who hates never... Canadians? Nobody. Nobody hates Canadians. So, uh, and at that time, like, I grew up in a, uh, an environment where you kind of hate Americans. Right. Being a Canadian. Because you resent they're buying our land. You mean, even in high school, they're teaching us this almost. <laughs> so I went there with an opinion about Americans. And then I met a bunch of them. And I mm-hmm. went, well, these guys are very much like Canadians. <laughs> yeah. At least the backpackers are. I mean, those right. anyone who travels usually is much more open-minded. Right. Maybe friendly. it was all I mean, liberals. Those are know? the curious people, you know. Right. You could have uh, gone to Alabama and, uh, you know, not to, you know, so the annoy next our time, Alabama folks. I went back two years later, and this time I decided, you know what? I'm not going to put a Canadian flag. It's almost racist. You know? I'm, not, I'm against <laughs> nationalism now. These Americans are just like me. I, I refuse, you know? So I went there. almost didn't get laid. <laughs> I was going to say that you were charged. Price. People didn't talk yeah. to me as much. <laughs> I was, I was going to say that $3 a day all of a sudden became $20 a day. It turns out the Canadian flag uh, made a difference. <laughs> so how long... I still wear it everywhere I go. <laughs> How long was that first trip? It was like, two two months or so. Two months. It was incredible. Wow. It was a trip of a lifetime. And where did you come up with any money at all at sixteen? You know what? I uh, my I think I had a bit of bar mitzvah money. <laughs> Made a killing. <laughs> well done, sir. I wanted to have another Shalom. one the next year. They said no. That's one per customer. <laughs> so I had a, and it was only. I mean, it was probably the whole th- trip. Was about four hundred dollars or something. You know, I had about. Wow. I had to get the plane ticket and then Europe on. I mean, three dollars a day for two months. Wow. You know, fifty bucks here, and then the the URL pass was probably one hundred fifty. I mean, the whole right. thing was probably about four hundred bucks. And I thought, you know what? My brother thought my older brother. Hey, you should get a job, earn some money. And I go at seventeen. What's my earning power? <laughs> you know, three dollars an hour. But but I've got time. I've got free time. Take advantage of that. I was aware so i figure four hundred dollars i'll be able to earn more than that someday not working the entire summer right to earn four hundred dollars so uh i just took what money i had and and uh went <laughs> so regret was, it i regret it to this day if only i had that four hundred dollars back exactly so uh, that was two months and then you said you went back two years later was this after high school lost my virginity Atta you skipped boy. over all of that the, on the first trip you did? Yeah, yeah Okay. Yeah. In the but hostel? Yeah, no, not the or third somewhere? one. What? In the hostel? Well, in fact, yeah. The girl, I met this girl. She was from Germany. Oh, okay. Didn't speak a word of English. It was really romantic. You know, we started, we saw each other. We started, then we communicated with just <laughs> miming. We became... Now, did you being Jew- Marcel, Jewish Marcel. and her being German uh, add a little uh, a twist to it the... It was a little bit of revenge for my people. <laughs> <laughs> you were doing it with a purpose. No, I, I, I fell in love with this girl. I, but for me, I went there going like, uh, that was ancient history. Yeah. And my dad said, you know, the, a lot of those same people in Germany, they, they, the same people from World War II, they run the companies and all that. And yeah, I it was only my, 30 years earlier. Yeah, I thought my dad was nuts. But then, because then it seemed like black and white movies from the... Exactly. But it's, uh, it was only 25 years later. <laughs> Think about 25 years now, like the mid-80s. Yeah. And you think about, that's not oh, ancient, that's ancient history. history. Yeah. But try and tell your kid that. MTV is 30, you know? Right. <laughs> when we think about it. But uh, no, I didn't really think about that. Mm-hmm. So if you 
you you traveled around. You did the URL pass thing. You saw a lot. Yeah, I was all over the all and over Europe. Was that like my first trip? Was the same way out of the country like you, but it was after college. I didn't go at seventeen. I was twenty one, but still, it was like a door opening. You know, it was like a big oh, there's this world out there that I didn't know anything about, and it had this weird mystical. It was more of a concept than reality. You know, one of the things that really, it wasn't so much Europe, but for me, it was the exposure to all these other travelers and spending time with them. Since this is a travel show, I'll tell you one of the things that I think was significant for me about that summer was, you know, I had a bit of a, I was a bit of a class clown. I had some immaturity. I was always trying to get a laugh and stuff and... And uh, but it didn't always work that great for me. <laughs> didn't have the best batting average. I was quite funny, twenty percent of the time. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And then, um, so that summer, you know, I kept on meeting people, and, and you become friends for about three days or six days or four. You know, you hang out, then you move on. And that experience of meeting people, and then, uh, and then I'd find like, you know what? I wasn't that happy with the my. Uh, the way things went with my, you know, maybe I was trying to jokey or whatever. And then I make an adjustment, you know. Yeah, yeah. I meet some more people. And it's like I matured a huge amount that summer just by all those different experiences that didn't, that didn't carry over. Because then you meet some new people. Maybe that's what I right. liked about traveling was there was no uh, record. You were always fresh. Everybody you met, there was no history yeah, and uh, so that was one of the things I really liked about traveling. Like every place you could be somewhere, no you criminal could be new- record. Yes, you- <laughs> that's right. No statute of limitations. <laughs> you could, uh, yeah, you could kind of reinvent yourself everywhere yeah. you went. And at least, and for me, that made a huge difference that summer. Of, of, uh, I think I really matured a lot that that summer, mm-hmm. and that's where it ended. I haven't matured since, <laughs> but that summer at least. Yeah, in terms of meeting people, I mean, I remember yeah. I went on that trip with a few guys from college. And, you know, we were friends for four years. But then it was there that I could tell that travel, we would, we would the first couple of weeks we were together all the time. And then all of a sudden we started getting on each other's nerves. And, this, well, and all of a sudden I could see they were more in about just, you know, just they wanted to get laid and they didn't care about what they were looking at, what right, they were right. seeing, who to meet. You know, they just wanted... Yeah, just I could have gone. I could have gone with them, but yeah. I, the, <laughs> but you know what? I I always felt that I was like I could have just stayed. They couldn't wait to get home, and yeah. you know. But it's interesting could, you bring that up because I was supposed to go with this guy, right? That mm-hmm. I didn't even know that well, and I was so glad that he didn't come with me. It would have been a very different trip. And while I was there, I I saw a bunch of people traveling with their one friend or two friends, upset at each other all the yeah. time, kind of not speak. Sometimes you meet somebody, they just couldn't wait to get away from their friend. <laughs> And I thought, gee, I'm glad I didn't travel with anyone. And it's amazing. And, and then I met so many other people, like you said. And then I met this guy from uh, Guelph, Ontario. Uh-huh. And, uh, hate Guelph. Hate, <laughs> those, pe- hate, but, hate <laughs> those people. No, I'm kidding. It was just... I, uh, but we kept in touch. I ended up going to his wedding like five oh, years wow. later in uh, PEI. And, uh, and then he's actually coming to L.A., in a couple of weeks, and uh-huh. he looked me up. We found each other on the internet. Cool. And we're going to go meet for dinner and stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, it is amazing. And then we met uh, in '89. <laughs> you know, and, and it's just fantastic. Oh wow! You know, now travel. Like then I went to Europe with uh, this girl I was engaged to. 
okay. about eight years ago. And by the time we came back, about three weeks later, we, we weren't even speaking to each other. <laughs> and then all my friends said, oh, yeah, traveling is very hard in a relationship. And I go, nobody told me before when I was paying all the money that now this was not $3 a day. Yeah. I can tell you that. Oh, no. And the, uh, but nobody warned me before I went. But everybody when I came back, they all had horror travel stories with, about relationships. It's and the it, greatest test. Very hard. Because you're, you're with each other 24-7. And, and it's stressful. Yeah, Travel is hard. You know, bags don't show up. And like you say, if you've got different... <laughs> that's where it really comes... Like, what you want to do that day yeah. is very tied to that person. Yeah, do they want to go to museums? Do they want to go to museums or just sit on a beach yeah. or a pool? Right. You know, that's, that's, a big, that's a big thing. And it's the rest of your life. That's why I thought, you know, <laughs> people should go on the honeymoon first before they get married. Right. And if they're still speaking to each other... <laughs> then get married after the honeymoon. <laughs> so you did Europe as a young man. Yeah. Why India as the next place? And then why were you fascinated with it? And you said you were into the transcendental. Well, yeah, I wasn't really fascinated. Was this a George Harrison thing? Did he clue you in on this? Uh, you know, I, uh, <laughs> whatever brought TM to my, you know, I, a friend of mine told me about it, about right. TM. And I started doing it and I took to it and I liked it. And I did it for a few years. But I was more interested in Zen in uh, Japan, and I'd read some books. So I wasn't really looking at India. But uh, I met this uh, fellow. I was living in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And um, I had actually checked out a couple of, like a Zen center in Rochester, and uh, I didn't care for it. So I was, um, I kind of had abandoned my quest to try and figure things out. It was just sort of on hold. I was about 24. I was working in Vancouver with juvenile delinquents. And uh, my line at the time was, yeah. until we got caught. <laughs> and uh, I was going to say, maybe these are your friends that were held back that, in, in the remedial class. Uh, no, I, so yeah, you knew they, them these all. were my new friends. <laughs> okay. but, they, uh, uh, but I decided I would travel. I wanted to travel again, so I was going to save up money for a year and then travel around the world. That was my thought at that time, instead of going right to... Um, graduate school or right. studies at more psychology. Grade 15? More useless information. <laughs> Grade 17, is that what they call it? Yeah, gra- yeah they don't... <laughs> I tell you, that's a good point. Less people would feel that inclined to go if they called it grade 24. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you thought... Uh, so you saved up money. You said so India is my tra- place. No, no, I was going to travel around the world. Then okay. I met this guy. I started... Uh, he'd been to this guru in the Himalayas. We started talking. And uh, and I heard some of this guy's lectures and stuff, and I, I was fascinated. And I thought, you know, I'm going to save up. I'm going to travel anyways. Why not start the trip in the Himalayas? If I don't like it, then I'll travel yeah. around the world. If I like it, I'll stay for a while. But I liked it. So I went to India by myself, and um, it was uh, it was great. I was there for about six months the first time. Six months? Yeah. And was this, uh, you were studying, you were in the program, you, you just meditated, or you just hung yeah, around the periphery? call it the program. It no, sounds... I mean, you know what I mean? But Did, yeah, I mean... Is there uh, a classes you take? I mean, is this No, it was very study? unstructured. There were about 50 people there, mostly from Canada. It's kind of a long story how it all started, but um, it was very unstructured, not, a, not your sort of typical group. Most of the people there were kind of people that would never even join. It was a bunch of people that joined this group that would never normally join a group. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was not the kind of thing where you give up some of your independence or anything. It was very much just something that you were adding 
some awareness to your everyday life. And where did you stay for six months? I mean, did uh, you get an apartment? or how did that Well, work? you know, this was... A, and now it's much more uh, modern. Right. But th- at that time, it was really primitive. And um, my first place there was basically a gr- like a... Gr- all the you rent we rented building rented rooms and stuff but it was like a, basically a garage <laughs> and it was all cement and uh, I think cozy. there was an outhouse somewhere oh, and I boy. bought like a, some jatais some straw mats and a somebody made a bed and uh, I had a kerosene stoves on the floor that was my kitchen in the corner it was terrible now I've said this before to other people I mean India was the one place I got bad food poisoning. You have any of those? Uh... I was going to say, um, I wouldn't even recommend really going to India, just <laughs> because I went there for a, and go there for a specific purpose. Yeah. If if my guru were living somewhere else, I'd happily go to Switzerland if that's where yeah. his place was. <laughs> uh, I do like India, and I've liked my experiences there. And I tell you, there's some part of me that feels very much at home there, but it's a very and it, it can be a frustrating country in terms of they have their bureaucracy and their way yes. of doing things everything although again it's much different now but like at the time like just getting a stamp you had to walk <laughs> two miles to the post office wait in line and then you get your stamp to mail in a letter and you lick the stamp it sticks to your hand instead of them <laughs> like the the one thing that the stamps wouldn't do is stick yeah, yeah exactly to paper it's one job. Yeah, one job. <laughs> it's got one it. purpose in life. Stick right. to the envelope. So then you got to glue sticks were um, <laughs> a big uh, request item from the West. But um, so, yeah, it's very difficult, to, and especially traveling in India if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, it's a hard place. But it when is. when I go now, it's just to this village in the Himalayas. You fly there, and then you're sort of in this cocoon of, of uh, purified water. Yeah. And uh, – but – my first, uh, I did some traveling in one of my first trips there, and and um, and I hated cooking by myself, like chapatis. I mean, you got to buy flour. Yeah. Then you make it into dough, and then you knead the dough, and then you take it in little balls, and then you roll it, then you put it on the thing. And meanwhile, and a meal you, in a restaurant is a dollar. Yeah, that's what <laughs> comes what first before you even think about what to order. Yeah. Now, what do you have? Bread. Yes. You haven't even started. <laughs> It was a lot of work. Exactly. And uh, I didn't even have a radio, you know, to, to <laughs> occupy my attention. So I'd go crazy in this garage with my japatis. And so I started uh, going to restaurants to eat, and I was writing a book, a novel. But there were horrible restaurants. It was like, I, I, when I look, so I got dysentery. It was uh, oh, no. you know, pretty bad. And how long did that knock you out for? Um I don't know, probably a couple of months. I mean, but the worst of it was a month or so. I mean, it, you know, it's the kind of thing where you get it and then you don't know what to, you're not sure, and then you try a couple of different things. And oh. Yeah, it was wow. pretty bad. So, how do you get to this place? I mean, is this something you got to fly into Delhi and then take a puddle jumper to wherever you got to go? Now, again, it's pretty easy. You fly to New Delhi, that takes about mm-hmm. uh, 14 hours. Well, closer to 22 hours, actually. Yeah, about 14 in the air. Probably. No, no. Longer? I remember because I went direct from I went from Chicago to Delhi, and I think that was fourteen. That might but be, I still had to get from here right, to there, right. so that's another four on top of that. So yeah, I'm about, yeah, you're about right. It's just that uh, if you go through, I've I've taken that flight, but if you go through London, I think it's about eleven hours just to London. Yeah, and then about nine to 
So I think it's at least 20. Yeah, it really is the other side of the world. That li- it's effort. It takes a little effort. And yeah. literally. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then from New Delhi, usually you end up, you know, you stay, usually you have to stay overnight in Delhi somewhere. Right. The first time I went, now you can usually get a flight to Kul- to this village. What's the town's name? Kulu. Kulu. So, but my first trip, it was these sort of uh, old school buses. Oh. And it was a two-day trip. On a school bus. On a school bus. Well, they stay overnight in this one city. And there probably were better ways to have gotten there, like other buses, but I didn't know Now, were you on the short, the short bus for the school? Because Turns I out it, it, this, understand this you dumb class haunted me throughout my whole life. I never realized it until just this moment. Oh, Mr. But Frumstein. there is a theme that runs through my life. We have a special bus for you, Mr. Frumstein. Of the dumb class. But <laughs> these buses were, and sometimes, and these were like narrow roads through the Himalayas, Oof. and occasionally you'd look down. At the bottom, the last thing you want to see when you're on an old school bus at the bottom of a mountain is another school bus. Oh, <laughs> God. But you'd see them occasionally, these sort of rusty, rotten old yeah. school buses. <laughs> that have crashed over the years? Yeah. Oh, man. It wasn't, it wasn't rare. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't every day, but it wasn't rare for a bus to go down that hill. So how often do you go back to this place? Do you feel like you need, like, a recharge once every couple of years, or do you... You know, I've gone through phases where it's been... Just I keep meaning to go, and then you never end up going, and it's, so it can be five or seven years. But um, now I I like to go every year or two when I, if I can, right? For about anywhere from four to eight weeks, even if I can swing it. Now, if you're going to go that far, but do you even bother to tie in any other countries? Or it's like, well, why don't we finally no, hit? No, it's um, too much trouble. Really? Like sometimes I have a friend in Paris. I might visit him the odd time, but it's you got so much stuff with you, and yeah. What do you bring in? Also, time is always a factor. Yeah. So if I was to go anywhere else, it would take away time from that trip. So what do you bring when you go to India? What do you need to bring with? A small other th- version of my life, a miniature version of... Um, do you ship a lot of stuff? Um, what do you take with you? Um, let's see. Well, always a computer, of course. Of course. And uh, I mean, at the time, though, again, I hate to keep reminiscing, but... Back then, like, just your iPod with, like, your music collection. Like, then it was cassette tapes. And, like, you oh, know, yeah. to, have, to bring your music with you, it's like, a, it's like another set of suit, a suitcase. And then you had to plug it in somewhere. Yeah, then it was like a, then uh, the, these uh, boom boxes were uh, a big thing that you <laughs> yeah. could get one, you know. But now a computer is the main thing. And then uh, just some... Light clothes and warm clothes, and mm-hmm. I can't remember what else. Do you still find that even after studying meditation for so long that you're still getting new things out of it? Because I don't know. Uh, I've never taken a class it's, in meditation, so I don't know what. I mean, are there exercises? Are there mantras they give you? Are there? You know, you know, I am the holy atheist, right? And uh, I don't believe in anything supernatural, and yet I've. I have this affinity and this value of my experience in a guru. I don't believe in external supernatural forces. I don't believe in external sentient forces. But I do believe that man can achieve a a level of awareness that goes beyond what some people can go much deeper or much more profound than other people. Most people kind of live their lives just sort of you know, they eat, they go to work, they go to school, they do things, you know. But it's not really necessarily developing awareness. Mm-hmm. So this man has developed 
his awareness and uh, fine-tuned his nervous system. And some people could say it's uh, partly psychological, the effect it has on me, but it really has an impact on me. When I'm meditating with my guru, it, you sort of reach different heights. So how do you go from reaching those heights to coming back and going, I want to be a comedian? It's called a letdown. <laughs> well, comedy's my thing now. That's what, okay, so how does, how does that happen? It's a, it's a long story. What's the short version? What's the short, funny, interesting version? Well, it's not, I can't give you a short, funny <laughs> version. I can give you a, short, a truncated version, but it, I don't know. We've got to say at this time, like, stand-up comedy was really starting to take off, wasn't it? Not quite. Not quite. It was, uh, this was still like the... Late 70s. Late 70s, early 80s, and it had started a little bit, but right. uh, without my awareness. Okay. Nobody called me. <laughs> Well, you're in India or Canada. They even have I mean, cable. Guess, when did they get cable? Up I in do Canada? remember even back, like you know, that around that time, like uh, evening of the Improv okay. started airing their shows, and I'd watch them. And uh, the um, and I was, uh, I mean, I always wanted to be a comedian, but I never thought I could be. I thought I might be able to become a writer. That was kind of my first dream. But I always loved comics, you know, and. Um, so, uh, but in any case, so I was I was going to Europe. I was going to India. I still had a, this dream of becoming a comedian, but I couldn't really do it in India. And so <laughs> I can't believe that. I can't believe it's not it's a burgeoning. Tough when you have two burning desires that are mutually exclusive, and there was just no way to achieve both of them. To, and I was really enjoying my my time in India, but. When everybody else was meditating on whatever they were meditating on, I was hearing the Tonight Show theme in my head. In the <laughs> da, this village, da, da, yeah, da, da, I swear, da, da. in this village in the Himalayas. <laughs> and uh, so I was often thinking of it. But the um, the other thing, I got, uh, I was sick and I had gotten cancer. I don't know if you oh, no. know that about me. It's not recent, so okay. you can. It's okay. You look great. I look good now, but that's <laughs> partly an illusion. You got it while you were there. I well, it was. It actually, I, I probably started developing uh, for a year before that. I had growing tired, mm-hmm. but I didn't discover it till I got back from India that first trip, testicular cancer. But that was uh, that was the beginning of a different adventure, right? And but it did overlap with my trips to India because at that time I was kind of facing what my death. I thought, uh, I thought it because people kept telling me it, <laughs> and. So it was interesting to be there studying meditation and philosophy, not just theoretically, but it was like if there is a, such a thing as reincarnation, I'm planning my next one. I'd like to know a little bit about it. And uh, But it did make for a very intense, very amazing time in India. And so it was, uh, it was part of that, that whole six years of I got better, then I got sick again, then I got better, and so on. But... During my last trip there, I got sick again, and this time it looked like I was dying. So I, when I left that last time, it was to go to my funeral, and uh, but I didn't die. Turns out it was a misdiagnosis. We just had this village in the Himalayas. It was probably something related to some surgery I'd had, and uh, and so I, I, I. But I really thought I was dying, but then I didn't die. So now I'm like 31, not dead. 
<laughs> no job, no money. I'd kind of spent, you know. And uh, I didn't feel like going back into psychology. And I just sort of was hanging out in Montreal. I moved to Montreal on a whim, stayed with some friends. And then this comedy club opened up. So I couldn't figure out what I, to do to make some money because nothing appealed to me because I didn't know if I was going to be dead in a year. <laughs> and uh, I even took – I looked at some computer course. They had um, – at that time, computer programming. Oh yeah, and you I went learn to basic. At, yeah, yeah. I don't know what they did. <laughs> I don't even know what that would involve now. Yeah. computer programming. Probably installing Microsoft Word on yeah. your computer. <laughs> but so I went to this room in this uh, tiny room, with, overpacked with people, like in a prison camp. And I thought, I can't imagine spending what might be the last year of my life in this stinking room. So I just went home and got stoned. <laughs> and then this comedy club opened up. So for just for fun, I went and did my old act from university. But the guy told me that uh, there was a comedy boom, and he and like I didn't, I wasn't aware that there were all these clubs and and uh, that you could actually make a living at it. And so he said he thought I could make a living at it. And then I thought, you know, it's what I always wanted to do. Now I really I'm kind of uh, have nothing to lose. Right. And I decided to devote myself to my true desire uh-huh. and uh, pursued stand-up comedy. And you were pretty successful, I mean, in terms of how many Tonight Shows did you do? I did three. Uh, I did, uh, so I did, I was an amateur for a year, and then I went to Yuck Yucks in sure. Toronto. I did that for two years. And then I got my lucky break. I got into the Just for Last Festival, which led to Letterman. Oh, wow. So Letterman was my, the big thing. That was the... Yeah. And then I, I did five Lettermans, and... Uh, and three Tonight Shows. Wow. And then all the cable shows. Did you do it with Johnny? Did not do it with Johnny. Um, he asked me if I would, but I said, is Jay Leno available? <laughs> you know, I got finally approved by Jim McCauley to do The Tonight Show with, Jay, with Johnny Carson. And it was, a, it was his last year um, on the show. So I went up to the Letterman people said they said I could do The Tonight Show. They said, oh, okay, that's no problem, but we'd like you to do one more Letterman first just to really make you uh, a signature thing that you're a Letterman comic. Right. Because I'd done four of them. So I said, okay, when can I do it? We'll call you. You know, so like (laughs) a couple months go by, a few months, finally four or five months go by, they book me on the show. I get bumped. Oh. uh, Because of Phil Donahue. Oh, that Phil. He won't shut up, that Phil Went over an extra segment. They came up to me and said, I think you might be bumped during the show. And they go, I said, well, when will you, when will you know? And the guy went, hang on. And he listens in the ear for a second. You're bumped. <laughs> but, uh, and then Johnny retires. So said, and then you- no, so I said, well, does this count, though, at least that I can do the Tonight Show now? He said, no, it doesn't count. <laughs> Seriously. They wanted me to still do one more Letterman. And so like, I, a few months later, I did it again. I finally did it. And then... Some comic had gone on, some new comic had gone on The Tonight Show and bombed. Mm-hmm. And Johnny said, no more new guys. Oh. And that was it. Sad story. Oh. Worse than the cancer. <laughs> you know, I get more emotional about that. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like he needed some meditation after that. Oh. Did you find that uh, meditation helped you as a performer? No. I mean, were you ever nervous? or any, Did you have stage fright or anything like that? I did I don't know really Did it help what you difference. focus? I mean, what is I don't it know do? if meditation has made much difference in my life, <laughs> really. Because I've, I've a, you know, and people think I'm a calm person, but I'm, you know, full of worries and mm-hmm. thoughts, you know. So, 
and I'm a complainer. So I, I don't know what, how much worse or better or different it might have been. I, I have a certain disposition. I think it was conducive to meditation. Uh, but, you know, I, I haven't been the best meditator. I, I could be – I don't meditate that much here in the, when I'm not in India. Right. Which is uh, maybe why it doesn't help. Right. Well, to get back to um, – well, to get to what you do, uh, your podcast and everything like that, uh, I wanted to – I'm not to – you have your own format, and this, but I just want to touch on it because sure. it's, it is a big part of your life. Uh, you became—I don't know if you were raised. Uh, were you raised Jewish? You had a bar mitzvah. I was. Uh, so I'm going to assume you were raised Jewish. Raised very Jewish. They, the first thing they did was they cut off part of my penis. Aha! That's commitment. me too. That's commitment. Have you seen it lately? Because uh, uh, I haven't found mine. Did travel make you question how you were raised? I mean, was that your first inkling of going? Oh, there's a different. People study different religions all over the place. No, I uh, I never liked, I never took to formalized religion. I, I did believe at the time, but I just did not take to, and I, I didn't take to rituals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could see the hypocrisy in some, I was not the person you wanted to invite to your Passover dinner. Because I kept on pointing out <laughs> Let's all Let's eat. Can we stop with the talking? I, I kept on pointing out all the contradictions. My brother would get mad at me. Like matzah bagels. <laughs> you know, like they make matzah. You have matzah because it, it because you sell it. You you sort of to remember when the Jews were um, in, leaving Egypt and right. all they could make was matzah. And, they couldn't. Right. They didn't have time to leaven bread apparently right. or whatever. They had to leave they town real quick or something. So they could make their matzah. So we eat matzah to remember that all these years later. But who wants to eat matzah? <laughs> so they yeah. make cake out of matzah. They make bagels out of matzah. <laughs> They make virtually everything but bread because they just it would just be too much even for Jewish people yeah. to, to to face that hypocrisy of having toast. So, so but bagels pass the test, and uh, so I would say, "What matzah bagels? Is this what we're doing to remember?" And, Shut up! Right. Anyway, so I never took to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never believed in in uh, all those rituals. I never really wanted to be. I didn't. I was a troublemaker in Hebrew school. I got expelled twice. Did you find when you traveled there was a lot of like-minded people like you, or because they say America, I know more than so than Canada, I think is is a religious, very religious kind of country. Yeah, I you mean, know, uh, and and people around the world see America as a very Christian country. It is now, and I, maybe, more so, yeah. I guess, maybe it yeah. always has been, but I. It wasn't at the seventies, probably not so much. Yeah, I wasn't at all aware of this. Even when I first moved here back in the you know eighty eight, mm-hmm. I wasn't aware that oh, America is this crazy religious country. Well, you were also pretty much. In the I wasn't big very cities. aware, anyways. Well, I, you were in the big cities too. I mean, you were right. In, you right. Know. Yeah, if you're Los Angeles, New York. Yeah, but probably the least religious cities I, in the country. Right, but I, I think it. Uh, I think things have changed in the last 20 yeah. years or so, and, and it's very much more at the forefront now. And it's become really one of the things that at least helps to divide. It became much more of a political thing. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really talked the, about in politics. I'm, I'm, I think the last thing they used to say, I mean, when Kennedy ran, that was like a big deal that he was Catholic. Yeah. But uh, since then, nobody just... And even then, you know, his defense was, well, I'm not going to let it affect my decisions. Right. As opposed to, I just talked to God, right? And guess, and now what, we're gonna guess a, what we're going to do? <laughs> yeah, we're going to war. And now we're going to have a Mormon running, you know. And right. so we that could happen. So, 
Now you, so you're traveling around, you see all these different religions, you go to India all the time, there's uh, Hinduism, which is gigantic, right? There. Did, did, was there one moment or anything that's, that's clicked and so like, okay, I'm not buying it all, I'm going to spread the word of not doing it, or you just, it was just a buildup of all this? Well, the moment I referred to earlier, where I lost my f- belief, not mm-hmm. my faith, my belief in God, was it was another trip. I was in France. Uh, I was in university now. I went to France another time. And uh, so I was went to this Rolling Stones concert in Nice. Now, I had never heard of Altamont, where some guy got killed at you a never Rolling heard Stones of it. You concert. You really didn't study much in, uh, in Canada. Did you? I hadn't heard Did of it then. Did you have a TV? I hadn't Canada? heard of it then. Everybody, it was just like <laughs> it was a my, huge trip, thing. my trip. Where you, had, you, you didn't know that traveling makes you fight? <laughs> But uh, I hadn't heard of it. Okay. Uh, I wasn't really much of a Rolling Stones fan. Right. But, I, you know, more of the Beatles. But still, it was this, it was this I thought, an opportunity moment. to see the Rolling Stones. So, but Nice, that sounds awesome. It, yeah, that's But uh, in any case, and it was in a, it's a longer story, but I had worked my way up to the front with this girl that I was with. And then we were all attacked by these uh, like motorcycle gang type guys that worked for the stones that were these bouncers right. and they were trying to tell people to move back move back it was an outdoor concert a stadium with th- you know 20 30,000 people and and so we were all packed in at the front and uh finally they, it just was an explosion of people running and nobody knew what they were running from until the, all the people running were past you then you saw these guys with clubs coming oh. at you. Then you started running, and the people behind you didn't know what you were running mm-hmm. from. And uh, but there was about thirty people put in the hospital. Uh, I was had to hop over a jump over a body, a bloody body. And uh, at one point, uh, a guy, my the girl I was with, fell, and I actually protected her, which is one of my proud moments because I barely knew her. Right. We'd had sex, but still, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, and the, the guy, he was about to hit me. And I just looked at him, our eyes met, and I just said, please. And, and he just, uh, in French, and then S'il vous plaît. he spoke, s'il vous plaît. <laughs> and maybe he was, I don't know, maybe he was German, who knows. Yeah. But uh, he, underst- he just looked at our eyes met, and then he went, uh, he left me, and he went and clubbed somebody else. Oh. But it was, uh, but that was a, a moment where I, I'd had all these sort of beliefs, and then I, they, they just started putting them all together with this reality. And that's the thing about violence. We all know about violence. You see it on the news every day. But there's something about seeing it firsthand, let alone experiencing it. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't experience it. I saw it. Um, but something about seeing it firsthand that just sort of shook me awake and it just didn't jive with this impression I had of this sort of benevolent deity. And it just was the beginning of a chain of thoughts that, it took a couple of months of, I, I went through almost a kind of a depression because it was like my life, my my life view had uh, altered. And that's when I, but that's when I, I was, at the time I was reading a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Oh, yeah. And uh, started thinking about that and uh, looked into Zen. But that's when I became, that's when I, I guess I became an atheist. But so much of travel I noticed... It's 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 a pretty big thing when you when you travel to see 
monument and you see these huge buildings and, and more than not they're churches, churches and you know, temples or yeah, whatever all it is these jewish people looking yeah. at all these churches and everything and i've been to i've been to the vatican i've been to uh i went to a sikh temple in in new delhi i, I went through uh in thailand these buddhist temples you go through monasteries i've been through mosques and yeah, stuff yeah. like that they're just do you well, even bother seeing these things oh, or yeah. no, I mean, if you and, see them do you how do you view them as opposed to you think other people. By the way, I was in the Notre Dame mm-hmm. in Paris. And, Which is uh, impressive, even if, you, if you're oh, not yeah. a believer. I mean, I mean it, these structures are pretty really, amazing. Yeah, they're, they're, they are amazing buildings. I mean, at the time, they were at the forefront of all. I mean, at the time... They had the, mo- the money. Yeah, and, I, and also, <laughs> at the time, they were building these churches that were like these amazing structures. Most people were living in shacks and stone huts. So the contrast from what their life was to walk in to even I mean they're amazing even today. Back then who could imagine but God could build a building yes, like this. It sells your message. It, it really, sells the message. For, it really did. If I'm seeking something, I come to this place, oh maybe these guys got the right idea. Look at this building they're in. So they <laughs> uh, in the at Notre Dame they had a guy actually hearing confessions. Mm-hmm. So I said to my friend who was showing me around, I said, uh, you know, as a Jewish person I should go and says, I should confess, forgive me I killed Christ. <laughs> But I didn't go in. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I find these buildings uh, impressive. Sometimes, though, they also make me think about the power and not always good that religion has had on, on, the, on the people. Mm-hmm. So it's this sort of mixture of, of sort of being impressed and being kind of in awe of some of the things. There's the architecture, the art, and then there's the evil to me. Yeah. So you've got that, isn't it a beautiful building? Is this where Hitler... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but do you still respect the, um, whatever the customs are when you go in? If, say, like, a, you have to remove you your have shoes. you to take off my shoes, yeah. yeah or you cover your head or whatever it is, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm more political than, like, I'm not, I don't have a... You don't have to make waves in their building. Yeah, I, I respect people, people's... Uh, I mean, a lot of it's culture anyways. I respect what people... I don't... I'm not out to... Even on my podcast or anything, I'm not out to really even... Offend, I hopefully... Uh, I don't really wish to offend people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't have a problem with anybody's individual beliefs. I have an issue with them in the sense that I, I believe that we're all better off with probably some version of the truth. But, but if somebody feels better with their beliefs, uh, I'm not out to... I don't evangelize or disevangelize, or I don't try and deprogram yeah. everybody I meet. Isn't there unless a, they bring up bring yeah, up the subject of circumcision, especially <laughs> circumcision? But even if they can't, they look at it and go, "Well, what you found in meditation, they find in the church." You know, I mean, it, well, isn't it? Uh, everybody's got their a hand to hold on to. You know, you know the trouble is, it's like say you take a medic, say medication. Say there was a medication that helped 80% of the people that it, people take it, but 20% it kills. Then they would never sell that medicine. So when people always want to talk about the benefit, they always talk about the 80%. They never talk about the, the percent of harm. So I'm not saying it's 100% harm. Mm-hmm. I don't say religion is 100% harmful or not useful, and it certainly had a purpose in the development of the the human race, like it helped the it was a, the forefront of education and and the and uh, 
transmitting of knowledge and so on. Um, but I'm just saying, but let's also look at the harm. Let's also look at the harmful effects. I don't say it's 100%. Oh, sure. But there is harm, and there's even harm in the most positive beliefs. For instance, afterlife. That seems like a nice idea, an afterlife. <laughs> and what's the difference? Makes people feel better as if... And again, I don't think most people really even believe in an afterlife, because otherwise they we wouldn't really be afraid you know, they to fear, die. They fear hell, and they fear... Right, Death. and that's the other thing is that we all assume we're going to heaven. Yeah, <laughs> like this afterlife isn't so great if you've been like doing stuff that would earn you the ticket exactly. down. But the thing about the afterlife that's not so positive is then your soul, the afterlife, the the thing that goes to heaven, is way more valuable than your life because your life is just sixty years, a hundred years. Your soul is for eternity. So people then can protect your soul thinking they're doing a good thing. So now you've got clinics in Africa where the Bush administration was not funding, giving any money to clinics that would promote condom use because right. that's a sin and that will send you to hell. So they'd rather have people get AIDS and protect their soul. So this idea of an immortal soul, while it sounds positive, there's, there's often this blowback, this negative side effect that I think we also have to examine. You can't talk about a medication and only talk about the benefits and not talk about the side effects. Right, like every commercial, you have the uh, eight hours yeah. of uh, yeah, they, they, they're really <laughs> legal blue, 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 disclaimer. Small at the print. Yeah. Even if they did that in the churches, I'd be happy. <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe known to cause uh, mass suicide. Blah, 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 blah. So back to the travel. Are you content with still going back to India once every? Has it planted seeds of wanting to keep going, maybe see other countries, or have you expanded a little bit? I think, you know, with stand-up, we do so much of a different kind of traveling. Yeah. You know, and you never, you could say you've been all over the country, but you certainly haven't seen the country. Right. I've seen a lot of hotel rooms and... A lot of malls, a, a lot, lot of malls. hotel rooms, a lot of things that are exactly the same exactly. wherever you go. Well, that's the, that's the biggest problem I have with america and that it it looks way too much alike you, you could be in the middle of a city and not know where you're at like when i first when i was driving to florida when i was a uh, young from high school everything was different you go to every town there was different stuff yeah now it's the same it's there's like the, the taco bell next to the walmart the next mall, to the, yeah. uh, restaurants yeah. um i don't know i have thought of going to south america i i, I always you, you you pack a small if you can pack a, a knapsack of some kind it's an exciting feeling for me. It's almost like when they pump oxygen into the casinos in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. You get this sort of whiff of, of uh, exhilaration. So uh, I still have the bug, but um, usually you either have the, the money or the free time, but it's I'm hard never to have at the both same time. Yeah. At the same time. I, when I was making good money, I never had it a minute. And now. And then when you're out of work, you got all work. the time in your world. I've and- got a. You know, yeah, it's, but you have to decide to do it and pull out that book of uh, you know Europe on three dollars a day again. Yeah, like uh, apparently it's expired. <laughs> Good thing is India is uh, not expensive. The flight is bad, but once you get there, it's, it's not. Yeah, bad. India is uh, pretty reasonable. Yeah, so I always like to uh, wrap these up with like a, a set of questions that I ask everybody. Okay, um, your favorite city could be anywhere. For nightlife. Nightlife. Favorite city for nightlife. Does that include prostitutes? Sure. Why not? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, 
No, I One man's nightlife isn't... Think, you know what? I can't... Uh, is there a place I, you, you know, get to there, and you go, are, I'm, uh, let, is, you want to drop the bags in the hotel and just immediately go out? You know, really, if you, th- if you ask a guy, like, where was his favorite place he went to, I bet you 10 to 1 he got laid there. <laughs> and so... It's like wherever you got laid, you know, and it, it's Where'd you not meet always... that German girl? That's yeah, exactly. It was in a little youth hostel someplace. <laughs> wherever you get laid, you think this is a nice place. Right. Friendly people. <laughs> How about your favorite city for food? Food? I mean, maybe, I don't know, New York. Okay. You know. That's not, that's not mean, a bad choice, believe me. It's, uh, you know, but, you know, you've had, I've had great meals and, you know, uh, some of the interesting things when I was in uh, uh, Holland... Had the best Chinese food I ever had in my life. Oh, really? But it was different. It was, I thought, who's going to eat chi- Why eat Chinese food in Holland? You can go to yeah. Toronto for that. <laughs> but it was totally different Chinese food. It was mm-hmm. whatever it was, but it was great. Yeah, I so say I love the Indian food in London. Yeah, but the it's one different. thing you don't want it's is Mexican the... food in Mexico. <laughs> you can have Mexican food in L.A. <laughs> well, I also found Cuban food in Cuba, not that good. Oh, right, right. Well, they don't have the ingredients, so you're much better getting it in uh, Miami. You know, where it's, you know, they have all the ingredients that they can get their hands on. Your favorite airline? Not Air India. <laughs> that was the other one is your least favorite airline. Even first class on Air India. <laughs> I tell you, like, nothing works. You know, like, you get on the plane, says, the seat doesn't go back. Oh, yeah. A lot of this, <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of things don't work. So a lot of the seats don't go back. <laughs> Try and find one that goes back. The seat has to do one thing on a plane, really. Yeah, recline. It's recline. Keep you... <laughs> Seated and then recline. And, you, and be used as a flotational device if needed. I guess um, I was just on British Airways. They were good. Lufthansa. Mm-hmm. Those Germans, they knew They run to, a tight ship, don't they? They know how to run the trains on time. Favorite city for women? Well, again, you know, there's... Not where you got lucky. Like where you... Where most you beautiful see the most women, beautiful yeah, women? That you've been, yeah. I would say... I mean, I hear Prague is my friend lives there. I've heard good things, yes. Um... I guess, I mean, L.A. certainly has among the most beautiful <laughs> women in the world because my theory, I mean, for 100 years, beautiful people have been coming to the city, try and make it in show business. 98% of them don't make it, but they're here, <laughs> yeah. and they do other things, and then they, good-looking people like to have sex with each other, and now you've got all these good-looking uh, offspring. So <laughs> it really is... Uh, uh, you do see some amazing people here. How about a pl- Paris? Oh, Paris, oh, Paris, yeah. I guess. You can be in. It's weird, like some small city in some place where it just it seems like there's a lot of good-looking people in this, like uh, Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a college town. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're at Arizona State. That's about oh, it. Oh Were you at the Tempe Improv? Yeah. Oh well, yeah. You're right in the, right there by campus. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to sign up. <laughs> well, what about a place you wouldn't? You would never go back to? Never go back to? Well, I just don't like the places where you have to be so careful about what you eat. Yeah, but you go to India all the time. I, I know, but that, that's, and that's so scary. careful there. But I, I really, I, I'm very careful. There's a restaurant I know in New Delhi, mm-hmm. and then I go to the Himalayas where I have my own you place. You know the lay of the land by now. Yeah, but you know, you can be at the nicest restaurants and still get sick there because yeah. the, you, know, you don't know what they're doing in the kitchen. A lot of it's water. Um, it's mostly waterborne, like a drop of water on the plate. Yeah, be... it's just a different sort of. When I first went there, like you'd be at a chai shop, the tea shop, and they'd have a bucket of water where they'd rinse the cup, 
and then put it on the thing that that's clean. Like rinse it in this dirty water and then put it on another dirty tray. And it's like, even if they boil the water, right, right. what good is it going to do you? But uh, so, you know, Mexico, I, I also, I, I've gone to Mexico a couple of times, but I, I always get sick there. Oh, really? So um, I don't like to travel places where I can, where my, where I'm visiting the bathroom more than the city. <laughs> okay. When people ask you about travel and what you get out of it, and maybe they're thinking of going somewhere or afraid or don't know, what do you tell them to convince them to get out there and see things? Well, I've never had that conversation. If it was... But... Like, say, now, for I example. Think, what do you tell people? How do you convince... What does travel mean to you? Because nobody do you, takes my advice. Really? So what I don't is your spend advice? the time. I don't spend time trying to. I do try and advise people, <laughs> but nobody listens to me. But uh, well, now here's your chance. Broadcast I think, it. I think what what I love about travel is that sense of freedom. I guess just that. Even uh, sometimes it's nice. Now you're never away from your phone, but uh, there was a time when even that was part of the pleasure. Nobody can get a hold of you, and sometimes that's a nice feeling. Um, I think it's just that. The explorer, that sort of sense of adventure, going someplace different, looking around, just looking at stuff, and uh, your day is, you know, more full, and uh, anything can happen. Mm-hmm. You never know. It's probably more of an adventure than I might have here in my office downloading audiobooks, <laughs> which is what I often do here in my living room, my, my office. So... Uh, so I think it's that sense of adventure. Where can people find you? And if you want to, and people want to listen to your podcast, where can they find it? It's the Holy Atheist. So I'm on Twitter as the Holy Atheist or dot com. I have a website and my podcast. They can get it on iTunes or it'll stream on my website, theholyatheist.com. dot com. Put a www in front of that. I don't know how does period. that work again. A www. W- it's called the internet. Wow, yeah, the yeah. worldwide interweb. <laughs> wow. And you're going to be out on the road with uh, Norm. And then, uh, you know, a few years ago, Norm started doing more stand-up, and we started talking about it, and uh, I started uh, opening for him. But at that time, I was doing a few minutes of religious material, a couple of jokes, but it was my main interest. So I started expanding it, and now when I open for him, my whole act is about religion. That's wow. all I talk about. And does he... People step on boo, it? they can't stand it. Come on, really? No, no. It actually... Have you run into that? I mean... Very rare. Like, very, very rare. It goes over really well. Wherever we go, it's Salt Lake City, Texas, wherever we go, it seems to go over well. And I don't know what it means exactly, but uh, but it's well-received. And I don't think Norm's crowd is more the uptight kind of people. Yeah, that's the other thing. But even we've been in places where, you know, a casino in um, Florida someplace where... It, people didn't even realize many of them. They were coming to see Norm. Norm was booked there, but right. it was uh, they. Usually, though, we are in front of his audience, which is going to be more not uh, ultra right conservative. Uh, yeah, conservative religious. But, <laughs> That's so pretty that amazing helps. that uh, you're getting away with that around. It, it really is. It's gratifying, and I'm not sure. Again, like it's kind of to me, I find odd that. Because my whole thing is, if you're laughing, you can't disagree and laugh at the same time. Mm-hmm. If you're laughing, then you must agree somewhere with what I'm saying. So in a way, it's proof by laughter. And so you've got all these people laughing at this stuff, which is kind of 
really without anybody saying it, it means everybody laughing must be in a way they're all saying, we don't believe this either. And yet they're not, it's not a group of atheists. Mm-hmm. The best compliments I get, uh, some people come up to me and say, uh, I thought you were very funny. I'm a Christian, but I thought you were funny. Oh. I, I love that compliment. No, that's great. All right. Well, Stevie Ray, thank you for doing this. Thank you. God bless. God bless. <laughs>